0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. The truth is, nature and nurture are in a delicate dance. If one goes too fast, the other one falls. Science tells us that early childhood experiences have the capacity to structure and alter the brain. That means you didn't just supply your child's DNA, you're still shaping it. And it's only by wielding this power that your child will activate his or her full potential. You are truly a gene therapist, manipulating and guiding your child's genetic makeup based on the experiences you create for him. Contrary to what modern parenting trends have told us, parenting is much simpler than we dared to imagine. It doesn't require formal training or a fancy degree. All it takes is getting involved. Once parents learn to flip the right gene switches, you'll be able to expand the limits of your child's potential and lay the emotional and intellectual groundwork that will allow him to seize opportunities for success fearlessly, naturally, and enthusiastically. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with an expert in education and psychology who's got 45 years of experience in brain science, and she's going to help translate the results of a lot of really fascinating new scientific studies into actionable steps we can take to be better parents and raise more confident children. It all starts right after this. More with Mr. Dad,
1: Armin Brott. after this. From the Mr. Dad dot com radio network.
2: When
0: I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits.
2: I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe.
0: But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many.
2: I feel like a fish with no water.
0: Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Bratt, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dr. Gail Gross, who's the author of How to Build Your Baby's Brain, A Parent's Guide to Using New Gene Science to Raise a Smart, Secure, and Successful Child. Gail, thanks for coming back on the show. You were here a little while ago for your previous book about grief. The only way out is, out through. is through. I was going to get some of those words <laughs> switched, but that—that that was it. But thanks for coming back.
1: Thank you for having me. I—I I really enjoyed myself last time and was looking forward to this interview.
0: So, I want to ask you something that may may seem like a silly question, but do we really need to build babies' brains? I mean, haven't haven't people been growing up from babies <laughs> to adults without a special program? I, I just kind of wonder about whether that's putting a lot of pressure on parents to start preparing for college admissions when their kids are still in diapers <laughs> and things like that.
1: Well, it's not quite like that. It's more like this, that we now know so much about the brain, because, and it's kind of our last frontier, really, because we can see into the brain, just like now we can see into the womb, and we know more about that little person developing, and we know it's not like a little seedling. It is a little person that's actually learning and, and growing in the womb. So the brain develops at such a rapid speed between zero, just in utero, and to the age of ten, that will have u- a child will have used up uh, more energy in that ten years than from ten to a hundred. Really, it's an absolutely rapid replication of connections and synapses, and by the trillions, things are going on just dramatically. And and what affects the way the genes express themselves, we now know has at least 50% of it has to do with the environment. So we used to have this argument in education and in psychology and in science, is it nature or nurture? Now we know it's pretty much a 50-50 split. It's both nature and nurture. So if the environment has a 50% impact, on the way that the brain unfolds uh, and the way that the brain develops and, if, uh, and in the way that the brain reaches its full potential, then it would really uh, um, be important to know what kind of environment is the best for the developing brain. What happens when, how does the brain develop, mm-hmm. what are the things that you can do, knowing what happens when, what are your opportunities, what are the windows of opportunities. Otherwise, the brain develops in it just a haphazard way. It's going to develop genetically, but also 50%, remember, from the experiences that that child has. Hmm. And if they're just haphazard experiences from nursery schools and other people and so forth... Then you whatever happens is just happening haphazardly, yeah. but if you pay attention, you can really impact that fifty percent because the environment has uh, really can express can can enhance or in a sense suppress your genes. you know you have a certain amount of genes right. And they don't all express themselves ever. So who decides what will what will be expressed, what will be enhanced, and what will be suppressed? The environment. And so having an impact on the environment mm-hmm. has a huge impact in the way your baby um, develops.
0: Well, let's skip ahead a little bit and, <laughs> and just and then we'll come back and fill in the, the gap in the middle there. But what are the kinds of benefits that you are suggesting could happen from this type of approach?
1: Well, here's an easy one. If I told you that just using complex language while speaking to your child could actually impact your child's IQ for the positive as much as 20% over time, you wouldn't talk baby talk, would you? You would talk regular conversational language. You would use complex language. You would say things like, you wouldn't give short commands. You wouldn't say eat, drink, sleep, go to sleep, stop crying. You'd make, you'd make full sentences. You'd say things like, daddy's coming home. Let's get, let's wash our hands. Let's get ready for dinner. Let's take a little bath. So you would constantly converse with your child using full sentences because Mm -hmm. by doing that, you're building in your baby's brain an associative mass that's larger than it would be by talking to baby in short commands. So that's a one thing. Mm-hmm. You have a shy child. We always know our children if we're around our children. Sadly, in our culture, we detach from our children way too early. We all have to work. I was a working mother. And so our children are really... Ex- exposed to all kinds of people, and in caretaking facilities, mainly their their motivation is to keep your child fed, dry, and quiet. So you're not getting the stimulation that your child would have when your child is with you. And you aren't seeing your child unfold during the day, so you're not seeing if your child is unusually shy or unusually aggressive or... Um, any number of possibilities, even delays, speech delay, hearing delay. So we have to really know our children to know what's happening with them. And if we know that our child is shy from the very beginning, we can create an environment that helps our child not be shy. And we create a new habit, a new track in the brain that all these neurons gather about so that we help our child by building his confidence or her confidence and trust in us, which then ultimately transfers to the outer community Hmm. so that they become less shy. And we can see shyness in the brain because now we can look in the brain and there are different parts of the brain that have to do with being shy and aggressive and so forth. And, And so we can now... Um, help children very early we can remediate their hearing deficits their their speaking deficits and we can help them with their shyness and we can help them with their aggression and we can do this by knowing our children and yeah. knowing and and knowing what kind of environment to create to remediate that particular situation
0: all right let me let me just have you. Address something because it, it it was hitting me as you were saying it that I think you're you're undoubtedly going to get some pushback about in particular the shy thing. I mean I will we can talk about the baby talk thing because I, mean, I just had a big <laughs> argument with somebody a couple of days ago about my talking in full sentences to my children from the time they were born, and somebody else saying, well, there are studies that show the baby talk is, is babies more, respond more. But I mean, is there? You almost are suggesting that there's something wrong with being shy, that it it needs to be overcome when there are a lot of people who are shy and do quite well in life.
1: Well, there's a difference between shyness and introversion. I am an introvert, so I do a lot of reading, I need to restore, I, if I go out I use a lot of energy to be with people, but then I need to come back and have quiet time to restore. My husband is an extrovert. He goes out and he takes energy basically from others, so he's, he's filled up when he gets home, whereas I feel tired and I need to fill up. So that's normal, and that's not a problem. That's our personality types. Shyness can affect a child's function. So if you have a a child that's really shy, that's not comfortable around other people, that nestles in your neck when strangers come around, that gets frightened and fussy, that doesn't want to play with other children, this can affect your child's function. So we can help our child feel more confident and therefore more competent around other people. Now, that's not saying that there's... um, that your child will ever be different than their personality is meant to be. It's just you're, in, you're supporting their personality mm-hmm. so that it doesn't um, cripple them. It doesn't make them unable to function well around others. Will your child who leans towards shyness, will that child become Jackie Kennedy? No. But will your child be <laughs> functional and comfortable around strangers? Yes.
0: Talking with Gail Gross, who's the author of How to Build Your Baby's Brain. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Gail.
2: You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a very godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good. Heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh that does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Pop it, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the US Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Excuse me, do you know how to get to Maine and Maple?
1: Do you have these in a seven and a half?
2: How's that cooked? Can I get that shipped overnight?
1: Is there a direct flight?
2: How long does the warranty last?
1: What's your soup of the day? How do you change the ringtone?
2: Does it come in blue?
1: Does this bus stop at Elm Street?
0: We ask questions everywhere in life.
1: Is it raining out?
0: Uh, What time's the meeting? How much does this cost? Does it have four-wheel drive? Have we met
1: before? What's my account balance?
0: Yet somehow when we get to the doctor's office... Any questions?
1: Um, no.
0: We clam up. Ask questions.
2: What is this test for? Are there any side effects? When do I get my results?
0: Questions lead to better health care. Go to AHRQ.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Gail Gross, who's the author of How to Build Your Baby's Brain. And we were just talking about some of the benefits of of setting up a, an, an environment so you can have some control over the nurture part of the nature-nurture mm-hmm. combination that's going on inside of our baby's heads. But let, let's talk about what we can do in our homes to create an environment. And you mentioned... Uh, Complex language, and I imagine that along with that goes reading and uh, other kinds of things, a a minimum of television, a minimum of screen time. But what else can we do in the home to create the most nurturing environment?
1: Well, um, before I go there, can I address one thing about the shyness? We now have many, many, many studies to show that shyness. Um, can be addressed, and a child that seems to lean towards shyness in genetic makeup can actually by the time they 're three lean away from shyness without any uh, reference to having had a discomfort around other people. so I just wanted to say there and i'm and in my book, I list all those studies Okay. so there, there are many many studies about that. Now you're going to be surprised in what I'm going to tell you about what what kind of environment you can create for your child. The most important word in early child development, Armin, is bonding, just simple bonding. You know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in education. You don't have to be a psychologist. You don't have to have any extraordinary education to to do the, the best possible things for your child. You just have to be there to do them. You have to create a safe, secure environment that's filled with love and bonding. Bonding is essential. When your child is born, they only know mother. And if father has been helpful by reading to mom's tummy while baby was in utero, baby will actually recognize dad's voice. She also knows mother's voice because that's the environment that she's lived in for nine months or he's lived in for nine months. So basically he's been or she's been mom's roommate, and he knows her smell or she knows her voice. So that's the only thing she can attach to that gets her a sense of comfort. What do we do in our culture? We immediately separate. We take our child after birth and put them in a separate room and separate them from all they know as security and comfort. So if we create a bonding environment, if we talk to our babies, we cuddle, we coo, when we bathe them, we talk to them, and we read to them, and we sing to them, all of those simple activities that mothers and fathers have been doing from time eternal, but if they're done, and if they're done consistently, they're creating those snap, crackle, and pop experiences that are actually forming the person that child is meant to be or is going to be in the future. So that bonding builds security. Security lowers anxiety. The, the, the danger towards the developing brain is cortisol. Cortisol is one of the hormones that is connected with stress. Mm-hmm. And when baby is consistently stressed, he or she overproduces cortisol and that cortisol will flood the brain and change if it's consistent brain architecture Mm -hmm. and impulse control. Now, this can even happen when baby is in utero. Now we can look in utero. We can measure baby sucking and moving and so forth, all while baby is in mom's womb. And so if mother is upset, She doesn't want her baby. She doesn't like her job or she's having a bad marriage. Whatever is going on, if she's upset consistently, she's overproducing cortisol. And what is it doing? It's crossing the placenta. Sure. And when it gets into baby, it's exciting baby. It's overstimulating baby. So some children are born, basically, I like to say, on high alert. Now, we think these babies maybe have ADD or... ADHD, but actually, they are just on high alert because they've had an overdose of cortisol while in utero. Now, these children, for all of their lives, will be on uh, more tense than other children, more anxious than other children, worry Mm -hmm. more than other children, and we would say, "Well, it's in the genes," but actually. It has to do with the genes and the environment that was created for them in mother's womb. So right. now that we can see into the womb, we can see that if there are twins in the room, in the womb, they fight, they love, they try to sidle up to one another, and move their sacs close to each other. They try to put their cheeks next to each other. They push off of mother's uterus when they're happy. They have this whole uh, working environment or living environment. Yeah. Yeah. While they're in the womb. And so in, at the most important thing is bonding after birth and before birth. And if you've read that book to your baby while in utero, when she's fussy out of utero in, in, in her now yeah, life. Try that book. that You read that same book, you'll yeah. calm her down or calm him down yeah. immediately.
0: L- let, me, let me have you go also, back a also, little bit, though.
1: Let me just say also free play. So the children have the chance to be creative. So you want to create a safe environment that they can explore and investigate, and you want them to be able to manipulate things and handle things because they push out, they'll look back. If you're there, they have confidence, they'll push out again, and they keep exploring their environment. And everything they touch, everything they handle, everything they hear, everything they taste is growing them. It's creating that associative mass. And you have control with, of everything they manipulate and everything they touch, etc.
0: So what I'm thinking about here is th- there's so much politics that's, that's almost heading in this direction. And, and the constant talk about income inequality and outcomes are better, health outcomes and many other outcomes are better for people with more education or more money and i'm I'm thinking how what do you tell people who don't have the luxury of being able to spend more time with their child playing and and encouraging that their both parents are working they need both parents to work or they're single parent families and they have to have a child in daycare. Can you overcome these things?
1: You know you always ask the best questions this is, this is essential brilliant question. And as I said earlier, I had to work. I was a working mother and I didn't have a choice and I didn't like it, but it was what I had to do. And so at the end of the day, and and then some mothers like to work and they're better suited to work. But at the end of the day, we have to compensate for time away from our children. There's just no two ways about it. And if we don't, We'll have that child that's overactively anxious, and that consistent anxiety will change your baby's brain forever, forever. changes brain architecture and impulse control. We know when children are adopted from Romania or China, and they're left institutionalized where they're cleaned and fed, but they're not handled. They're kept quiet, but they're not played with. They're not talked to. And what happens? There are all these deficits that after three can't be remediated. And These children have, if we look at their brains, they look like they have post-traumatic stress disorder. We can see these things in the brain. The hippocampus where learning and reading come from is more narrow when children are basically deprived of enough holding and and talking and, and handling. We call this failure to thrive. So we must compensate for time alone. In the best of all possible worlds, mothers could work near their children when their children were in the nursery environment. The nursery could be near the workplace, and mother could take a break and go see her baby, and baby would expect her to come and so wouldn't be anxious, would stay calm. And we can measure baby's anxiety by just taking a sample of their saliva and measuring the cortisol level, as it elevates hour by hour exponentially as baby is separated from mother. So we can do things to remedy if we can have lunch, take our lunch break, and be with baby. It's not easy being a parent. Gail, you know, we're going to
0: have to leave it there. We're out okay. of time. Gail Gross, the author of How to Build Your Baby's Brain, a parent's guide to using new gene science to raise a smart, secure, and successful child. Gail, thanks again for coming on. Great to have oh, you.
2: bye-bye. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, our baby is only three months old, but I'm already craving another one. My husband is worried that it might be too much too soon. Do you recommend having two babies this close together? What are the advantages and disadvantages? Unfortunately, there's no right answer, so I can't give you a strong recommendation either way. A lot of parents say that having two children close together makes life easier, while others say it makes an already stressful situation even more stressful. Of course, that's all in the eye or the nursery of the beholder. But before we get to that, there's one super important question that trumps everything else. Are you physically ready to have another baby? If your first was born by caesarean section, you might have a significantly higher risk of uterine rupture during the second pregnancy. But, c-section or not, your body may not have fully recovered from the first birth. The only way to be sure is to talk it over with your OB. Assuming the doctor has given you the green light, let's take a look at some of the pros and cons. On the plus side, they literally grow up together. When there's a small gap between the kids, yours could be as little as 13 months, It's almost like having twins. When the kids are more than five years apart, it's kind of like raising two only children. Your diaper changing, burping, soothing, rocking, and feeding skills won't get rusty. Anecdotally, children close in age, say 18 months or less, seem to have less sibling rivalry and are closer emotionally than kids separated by a bigger gap. They'll always have a companion. When the kids are entertaining each other, there may be less pressure on you to do so. In addition, the younger child will constantly be trying to imitate the older one, which means A, it'll take less effort to, on your part to teach them, and B, the younger one will learn just about everything much faster than the first one did. As they grow older, they can be each other's greatest ally. They'll help each other adjust to new situations like first days at school, and they might even be able to play on the same sports teams. It could be cheaper. You'll be able to get double duty out of clothes and toys. You won't have to baby-proof the house twice. It'll already be done when number two arrives. It might be a little better for your career, too. If you or your husband were planning to take some extended time off work to be with your children, having two very close together reduces the time you'll be out of the workforce. There are, of course, some disadvantages. The first few years are going to be grueling for both of you. Those sleepless nights and lack of time to yourself, not to mention the back pain, will be extended for another couple of years. If the kids were spaced further apart, you'd possibly get a break in between. You'll be changing a ton of diapers. It'll be hard to carve out undivided, quality time to spend separately with each child. The kids may resent being treated as a single unit, which frequently happens, and the lack of individual identity. Having an infant can be tough on a marriage. If you're already struggling, bringing another baby into the picture isn't going to make things any better. One thing I strongly recommend is that you and your husband spend some serious time discussing these issues and how the spacing decision will affect you as a couple and as individuals. It's not a decision to take lightly, so allow plenty of time to go over your options. If you've got a question or comment about this or any other issue, please drop us a line through our website, MrDad.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. Until then, I'm Armin Braat.